0: All right, girls and boys, the pairings are done and the rounds are up. And welcome back for another episode of the rounds are up podcast. We have a very special podcast today, Nick. We do. We do indeed. It's very special.
1: Just like all the other ones, all of our podcasts. No, no.
0: Incorrect. This is even more special because we have a interview With two of the guys who went to Worlds, Dan Sundlin and Craig Walker, the X Wing. So a little bit, a little bit different to your the X Wing players, the absolute legends. Uh, So a little bit different to your standard episode. It's just an interview with the boys, uh, hosted by Pablo and Curtis, and we will cut to Curtis and Pablo in three, two, one. All right, welcome everybody. We have. one of our x-wing interviews for our post world's players we have dan sunderland and craig walker dan craig say hi guys hey how you going good to be here it's an absolute privilege to have these guys around to be able to share their experience it's something that none of us unless we're qualified were able to make it over for i mean pabs you're there What, what are you hoping to discover through these guys
2: yeah, I vicariously want to feel like I was there and rolling dice and pretending I'm a world qualifying type of X-Wing player. But really just, you know, the, the the uniqueness of the experience, the ideas that, you know, you exchange with some of those top class players in the world. I mean, I really want to hear some of that nitty gritty. But certainly just fortunate to have such a good representation go over and have the guys come in and talk to us about it
0: yeah me too i mean look Pabs and i we're both really excited about this interview we get to play with dan and craig on a weekly basis we're all part of the top ride community which is sort of like a you know an extension of the c4 group we're all c4 at heart but we play wherever we can fit it in now guys we just want to find out you know to start this interview off with we asked about your expectations prior and asked about your preparations but Obviously, between our last interview and now, your expectations for the competition may have changed at several points in time. Now, when you went over, what were your expectations leading into the competition? We're talking like, you know, maybe that week leading up, like that week before, what were some of your expectations? And I'm not just talking, you know, your personal performance, but also, what were you expecting to see a lot of faction-wise or individual ship-wise, archetype-wise on the table? Craig, what was what was some of your thoughts in that week leading up?
1: Oh, I suppose my goal was to make day two. So to get through um, three to minutes minute at the end of day one. Um, I was expecting to see a lot of First Order, um, a lot of Republic... Um, lot of the the three dice tie fighters on both fo and empire and it certainly dis- didn't disappoint me fo was everywhere um i think scum apart from bobba Kanan and a friend was not to be seen um and rebels were very lightly represented i think there was one one listed well the rest of rebels were just not to be seen so pretty much what i was expected to see
0: yeah so and obviously in a tournament this size different people are going to get different experiences as well so dan did you find you had different encounters as you went along as opposed to craig's or did you feel yours was pretty similar and you know did did you
3: do the warm-up tournament and did it change your expectations at all i i did do the warm-up tournament it didn't change my expectations but I think if you'd asked me a couple of months ago, I would have probably very confidently said, I think I can make day two, or well, that's my goal and I think I can achieve it. Um, but but not long after that, a few weeks after that, a few more games, I participated in the Kyber Team Championship, the Sector Series, a few other things. And then I started seeing all of the names that were gonna be at Worlds. And I'm thinking, yeah, nah, I would not be, my expectations lowered, definitely. And I thought I would not be at all surprised if I don't make day two, and I think that would be a real win if I do. So that was my personal goal going in, not an expectation. I think it could have gone either way, and, and I needed the last round on day one to get that win in order to get through to day two. So I was definitely happy to take that off the list. And um, So come the warm tournament, which I did play, um, and I went, I think that was three rounds, correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, I had one win, one draw, one loss, and got to play Timo, which was good. He, <laughs> he tells me, he told me at the time it was his second game of 2.5. I don't know if I believe him, because he then monstered the field on day one. I can't remember his record, I don't have it in front of me, but he did very well unlocking not to make top eight, I think. Um, yeah, and, and in terms of lists, I think I saw most of what I... Expected to see with a few exceptions. Um, yeah, so but we we can chat more about that. But um, yeah, and overall, certainly happy with my with where I got to. I, I would say I exceeded my own expectations. I ended up at five one and four. I knew there was going to be at least one draw in there because I, as you know, am the master of draws. Uh, so yeah, tick that off the list. You've got to draw in the warm up and a draw in the tournament itself. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, so I was super happy with that. Can you please elaborate, for anyone who may not have
0: followed world qualifiers for the Australian edition, can you please elaborate your encounter with draws so that people actually understand your
3: your personal attachment to them? My personal attachment, yeah, it it does start at the Sydney World's Qualifier in November. Uh, You had to get five wins to make day two, top eight day two no not uh excuse me it was four wins out of five rounds I was at 3 and 0 and then I played Acta and we drew on the last turn I think it was Acta first and then I played TMT who was 4 and 0 at that stage and then I managed to draw again so five games undefeated three wins two draws and I didn't make <laughs> and I didn't make the cut. um and the strength of schedule was ridiculous because the two guys that I drew to were the seeds, one and two, both with four and one. Um, so, yeah, that's my little sub story. But, um, yeah, no, and then I've just kept having draws since then. Every time I play actor, I think I've drawn him at least once or twice more. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, start of a game, I just figure out exactly what I need to do to, you know, make it as tight as possible and try not to win and try not to lose. And Yeah, no, it's just how I think draws are a lot more common. I haven't run the numbers, but... I suspect draws are a lot more common in 2.5 just because you're playing to 20. So the chance of two people being on the same score is a lot higher than if you're taking random numbers between 0 and 200. And Yeah.
2: Yeah, that uh, theming of drawing, considering the final outcome, considering how (laughs) dramatic that was, watching it uh, on replay, unfortunately I couldn't catch it live, but I had missed it, and then we had podcasted that episode around worlds and I only found out after what had actually happened after we podcast and I couldn't believe I missed it because that would have been such a dramatic thing to add to the podcast. But yeah, draws are certainly a thing and it certainly is dramatic.
0: I think it's important to also mention though, Dan, that the two guys that you drew against in the world qualifying event in Sydney, both of which ended up on the final table and both of which it came down to the final turn for the decider of who actually won between the two of them. So it was still against, in the Sydney tournament, uh, against what you would consider the two top quality players there. And, um, you know, it just goes to show that if you can mix it with guys like that, you're obviously mixing it up pretty well. Um, Craig, did you get a chance to do the warm-up tournament as well? And was there any surprises in there that you came across? No, I actually dropped out of the warm-up tournament, went and played... Siege of Coruscant
1: and Battle of Yavin instead, just a bit of fun. Back uh, for it, it's like doing something a bit different. Um, I knew a couple of guys that were going to play it from online events. I thought I'd hang out with them and do something a bit
0: different. Yeah, that's one I haven't had a chance to play, actually, is the Siege of Coruscant. I bought it. It's sitting there. But, um, you know, for obvious reasons, I have not had the personal time to be able to take part in that, but we're planning on getting around to it. There's going to be a lot of proxying because I don't have a lot of CIS or Republic gear. I've got just enough to do a couple, but, yeah. yeah um, that
1: a lot of fun. I just figured there's enough Series x can coming over the next couple of days, so a flight hard and fun on the Thursday and, and go from there.
0: So you guys took part in the warm-up tournament, You've played a lot of stuff around Australia, but as we've noticed in the past, there's a really specific meta in Australia as well. Was there any lists that you either played against or saw other people play against that were a real surprise. I mean, I know I saw one on stream that I looked at and I thought, "Oh, that's real out there. Love the look of that. That's a great thought outside the box. But did you guys personally come across, see, played, play against anything that was sort of a little bit of a surprise, didn't think you'd see it? Craig, what about yourself?
1: I think on day two, I came up against a double decimator list and a single decimator list. Which I didn't think of any, anywhere near to see it, but I think the, the cool one for me was was Bartosh with the with Lando and the A Wings. Uh, I think he got it in top one
0: top eight. Han and the A Wings, my friend.
1: Was it Han? was it? Han and the A Wings.
0: I was about to like... say I love Lando and the in in Rebels. Absolute favourite pilot in Rebels for myself. So I would have got so excited about that.
1: Yeah, it was. It was Han, Tycho, Keo, Arval and Derek. And he got that through to yeah, top Yeah, and he made
3: and... Top, top, four, top four.
1: Yeah, which was impressive.
3: Yeah, I actually, just to build on that, so I, I played Bartosz online. So that's one of the things we do, I agree, have a bit of a different meta in Australia. I haven't really put my finger on what it is, my finger on what it is, but I'm sure there is one. But uh, I think we've probably all been playing a little bit more online, and that's one of the good things about the growth of TTS and so on and different online tournaments is you do get to play people from different locations at all sorts of strange hours being australia based <laughs> but so i played but i think it was in february and i had recently been building a rebels list uh with han taiko Keyo, and then i had luke in there and he popped that on and i thought oh that's really cool we had a bit of a chat about it and then we had a game it was chance encounter i think it was close i think he beat me which was rude so i wasn't surprised to see him play that but i think it's a good example of the player of the list being in some ways more important than the list itself. Because if you give that hard and four A Wings to a lot of other players, then they'll just get they'll get railroaded. I think as well for memory, Bartosz ran was it five A Wings at the twenty nineteen Worlds. I think he lost in top four there as well to Ollie. So he knows his way around an A Wing. I'm not sure the list, I don't have it in front of me.
1: Yeah, he's been playing it for a long time. I remember there's a video floating around where he played actor. And actor had a 127-point bobber and a 70-odd-point bosk. And bosk just killed an A-Wing a turn. So I'm pretty sure other...
3: Akta. I remember Akta sending the link to that video to everybody in the Australian community <laughs> because he just blew up <laughs> every turn. But
1: yeah, but yeah so that, that was that was 2018 and 2019. So that's how long Bartosz has been playing A-Wings for. But it it's good to stay
3: up there agree the, the other thing that I, I played against oddball which is a five point arc and i was surprised to see that i ri- i hadn't considered it in terms of expecting to see it across the table because there are four point arcs so why would you bring a five point arc when you can bring two good four point arcs but and that was sergio and he ended up 10th overall so we did really well and we had a great game and it was a game where uh You know, you mentioned earlier on, Pablo, about some of the nitty-gritty, like, there were things I could take out of that game, and we had a chat the following day about that game, or, yeah, it was the following day, I think it was finals day, and I was reflecting to him what I took out of that in terms of obstacle placement, trying to make it even tighter for his big arcs. I made it tight, but not tight enough. And uh, he had another comment about Magna being in a bit too obvious a position, which meant he could dive on. So that was something that I pulled out of that game. One thing I'd realised, but another thing that I had not realised. So I was surprised to see that. Um, I also faced the Sun fact, which I was maybe wrongly surprised, but I was a little bit surprised to see. And there were oh, maybe two or three Sun Facts at the tournament, maybe more. And... Um, yeah, I, I was just a little bit surprised to see it because I just thought it wasn't as good value as some other options you can bring. Obviously, it's a hugely strategic and tactical piece, but um, pretty expensive. Um, and I was super excited. Well, not well, excited as a Rebel player. I was genuinely surprised to see my old mate 10 um, in a B-Wing and a Y-Wing. Uh, not only at the tournament, it was only one ten num, and it was Mario. But to make top four and go as far as he did, I would never have guessed that in a million years. I was, uh, I did put money on Fo for the win. I was right there. Um, I was surprised not to see any Fo whispers in the final in the final, but um, and I was surprised not to see any uh, resistance in the top eight. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, surprised and disappointed Not to see resistance in the top bank But yeah, two Rebels this I never would have guessed that I wouldn't have been surprised by Bartosh But I'm super surprised by a B-Wing and a Y W-Wing
2: Yeah And an X-Wing Yeah, I was so fist pumping Jumping up and down when I saw that B-Wing come up on the stream I'm like, what? What What is going on? I mean... To your point, you know, Rebels in general were written off as as top contenders for this tournament or for the meta in general. And for a big wing to make it in there, it was just, I don't know, Mario per se. Do you know him? Is he Spanish? Is he, I mean...
3: Uh, he's Spanish? Yeah, I don't know him well, though. But funnily enough, I think I played three Spanish players. I felt like I played the whole of Team Spain. Uh, across day one and two, lovely bunch of guys. Uh, didn't play Mario, but um they were all in his corner uh, at the back end of day two, and uh obviously on the on the final day as well. well
2: Mario, if you ever hear this, excelente amigo, muy muy bien, te pasate. Just from my Spanish friends out there.
0: <laughs> oh, excellent! Yeah, I'm really, really interested at the concept of Sunfact being there because I've been. <laughs> Trying to, I try every three months to change up my lists myself and get used to different things. And to hear something like Sunfac, I've played him before in the old 2.0, but now when it's 2.5, the new points changes and everything. I Just like you said, Dan, he's not a piece that a lot of people see value in, in terms of its effectiveness. So... That's really interesting to know that there's so many popping up at worlds, that's outstanding.
3: Um, yeah, and, and just to build on that, Girls, I think it's 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 not inconsistent with a little bit of a theme I saw, particularly in top eight and further down than top eight as well, but I did notice quite a lot of inner what what struck me is innovation around the edges of the core meta. Um, so core meta being things that is clearly very good value. That you take and you can build a good list around but then with that you see like an anti-clt which prior to what well, i wasn't expecting at all because i hadn't seen it at all uh, in the lead up go well in big tournaments so nathan uh idy there oddball in the arc i mentioned which was a little bit that's a bit of a different thing again two sun tears going as deep as they did ollies and
2: um uh, what was the name of the player in top eight that took Sunter in there? The These... French guy.
1: Uh oh the French guy, yeah, the Cor- one
2: Corentin. I think I think his name was. Yeah, Corentin.
3: yeah.
2: Um uh, not
3: surprised to see them at worlds, but yeah, glad to see a little bit of uh innovation around the meta to bring in a piece that is very tactical and strategic and has a high skill level and you see you, you do start to see there where the, you know, for want of a better term, some of the cream rises to the top in terms of the, the skill level that some of the very high level players can bring to, um, yeah, get the W across so many games in in two or three days.
0: Yeah, and Craig, was there anything that? sort of, you know, maybe blew you out of the water a bit when you saw it? Was, you know, any any surprise ships and or list archetypes or styles that you saw and went, whoa, what's this? I think, for me, I think it was the first stream game. There was a ghost.
1: That's I was rocked out with a ghost. Oh, yes. <laughs> a ghost, a gauntlet and a U-wing. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Didn't do any good, but, yeah, yeah, it was something. I mean, it was for me it was unexpected a few out there pieces like the sun there were a few sun facts i think one of them was actually paired with a tri-fighter of all things um
0: yeah the tri-fighters are hard to go to uh, you know oh, at they're... their point cost and hull they're a hard choice to really dedicate to a list
1: yeah i thought there might have been a bit more vader defender there than there was um but yeah i mean that's it's it's what i like what i expected to see there A lot of four and five ship lists, uh, a lot of TIE Fighters and TIE FOs and three dice, and then just all the Republican rubbish that modifies all your dice and pulls you apart.
0: Hmm. And, I mean, look, we don't know what we're going to see in 12 months' time because with... The release schedule that AMG is teasing at the moment with them trying to work hard, and, you know, we've got that taste of Adepticon of them working hard to try and bring in some ships that are currently in extended, bringing them back into standard. My gosh, Worlds next year is going to be a completely new ballpark. Like, it's going to be all over the place. Now... With you guys, I remember one of my last nights, I got to actually come in and and see you guys face to face. Uh, Dan, you were talking about, you were thinking of bringing a list that no one was expecting to see and it was Empire based. Now, did you stick with that list? And how did you feel it went? Were there any were there any matchups where you felt that list struggled? And why do you think it did? Or were there matchups where you sat there, you looked at your opponent and went, I've got this, hands down. I know I've got it, play smart, and it's all mine. How did how, your list fare?
3: Yeah, well, for the, so the first part of that, I was t- I brought to a in-real life tournament, you have to say in-real life tournament now, uh, in the lead-up to Worlds, and I had built a Mourner Key plus as many clusters as I possibly could Empire List, and it had Grand Moth Tarkin to give out locks. I had passive sensors and targeting synchronizer on Juno. So if you think about that for a minute, it's pretty cool what that means. You can sort of yeah delay your decision of who you're going know, to lock and then turn on the ordinance for every other ship um, with perfect information. So it's a fun list and I'll, pro- I'll probably find a few more times, um, but I felt that it was a list. So I did not take that list, Curtis. I I built, I took the list or a version of the list, which I now mapped to version eight, uh, which I'd been running and tweaking since November. Um, and that was the five ship with Boy Beta, Iden, um plus, plus, plus. And yeah, so but that other list I think would have caught a lot of people off guard because there's so many triggers, so much ordnance. I think I had 22 energy charges abilities that it's like, yep, here's the list, and I can explain what the ability does, and I know you'll forget it because I forget it half the time. So um, I think it would have just been too much cognitive load for people to pick up. But it also had a lot of weaknesses. It was quite easy to flank. You kind of had to fly in formation and try to focus fire and. It can actually be hard to get uh, two shots of cluster missiles off and to do that across multiple shots which is what it was building which is what it was built around so i left that in the shed i sort of thought uh i want to list that as a wider set of tools and by the way i was more familiar with which was the fire version of the five ship which i did take um but the second part of your question then was what was that again curtis how, how did the list fare or sort of where was it strong and weak
0: so it was a bit of a two-part. So it was was there a particular matchup that you knew you went in as the favourite and you just had to play it smart, and was there a matchup where you went in and you went, well, I'm the underdog in this one. This might hurt. And and why did you feel that way about those particular matchups?
3: Yeah, it's a funny one. I what I found, that's sort of true of the list that I took um, is i built a list to have a lot of tools to be able to deal with a lot of different things which is both a positive in the sense that i can look at a list and find a way to take it on and a negative in the sense that i don't i'm not a clear-cut advantage over any list if that makes sense so i have an initiative six in boy Vader. i've got mobility all my ships have three green dice sigma six is that mobility piece uh, Magnus, a squad leader Uh, support Iden does Iden things and Juno there I'm trying to coordinate with squad leader and I've got two big hitters in Vader and Juno so I've got a set of tools there so probably there wasn't a matchup which I thought definitely coming in or when I saw I'm at a distinct advantage or disadvantage what I do find is um scenarios uh scramble I think my list generally is at a distinct advantage because of the mobile and, and Sigma 6 for me, and if you do the search, you might see that I'm the only, you know, scrub who decided to bring Sigma 6. But that was my, that's my, I, I have a very soft spot, and I, part of me thought it may not be the most competitive, but I know I'm going to have a lot of fun flying it. And it's also an element of X Factor. Yeah, go on. For
2: those who don't remember, including myself, which one in the Sigma 6 again?
3: <laughs> Sigma 6 is one of the Badly Avon interceptors, it's a four hull interceptor which we all love, and uh, it can slam if it does a speed 3 to 5 manoeuvre, nice. and it can also has afterburners. Nice. And the slam and afterburners are the same timing window, so you can do them in either order. Um, and then it has sensitive controls. So if you want to do everything, you can do a system phase barrel roll 5 straight if you wanted to. Oh, no, because that's why you couldn't do that. You could do a system phase barrel roll 4 straight if you wanted to. Uh, you could do a afterburner's boost. You could do another four straight after a bent boost, and then you could take an action still. Wow. So grab an objective or take an evade or whatever. So people know it's mobile, but even though you, you know what that sounds like, until you actually see it on the board, it's quite surprising how far it can go. So scramble is good because I can put an objective right towards my opponent's um, edge, either range one in the middle or off in the corner somewhere miles away, they can pick it up on turn two. And then either later on turn two with their early initiative or turn three, I can pick it up with Sigma six and they never want to turn around and go back and get it. So then we're contesting the center and the other two objectives and I've sort of more or less secured that one. And that worked. I think I won all my scrambles. Um, whereas salvage, Again, I'm not too bad in salvage. I've got five ships. Iden's a good carrier, Magna's a good carrier. Juno and Vader don't mind, although you're turning off boosting and afterburners, they don't mind too much um, picking up crates. But poor old Sigma-6, if I pick up a crate, (laughs) I turn off literally every ability of that ship. The sensitive controls, the slam, the boost, everything it can do is a reposition. So that all goes away. So, and I think the salvage games i had were the ones where i had the most to learn in terms of like i need to improve my approach here against this particular list um and i think i, I certainly lost two of them i, I think i went two losses and one draw across the three unfortunately for me salvage was the one that came up three times across the 10 games so that was weaker for me but that was probably as much my prep as my list if that makes sense the thing is people don't look at some of these little ships in the
0: background they see these big flagships like the vaders and they see the upgrades like palpatine the decimators things like that They see these big hammers they don't look in the background some of these these scenario ships these standard loadouts actually punch and it's not until people start digging into them and seeing how they fit within an archetype that they actually start to understand how great they really are now Craig, what did you end up taking? Now, as someone who's played you, I know the sort of ships you'd like to play, but what did you end up taking and 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 how did you end up going with it? Same, same question that I directed to Dan. Scenarios that were good, bad. How did you feel going in? Why did you feel that way? Um, I, I went with Vader
1: in the Defender, um, two Reapers and Iden. Um, it was mainly because I hadn't had a lot of reps, just didn't have the time with, with lighting anyway. away. Um, I've flown a lot of defenders. Um, the Reapers are just fun and people definitely underestimate them and they underestimate how fast they move and how good they are for uh, picking up the crates.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was a bit of an all-around. I mean, Iden was there to protect herself and draw fire and survive those next couple of turns. Um, I think in hindsight, I would have dropped a Reaper for Moth Gideon. I uh, ran into that early on, and he is ridiculously stupid. Um, that probably was the only change I made. But, yeah, for me it was, yeah, picking up the crates was good for me. Um, assault was good for me. Chance Encounter was 50-50, and the other one was probably 50-50 as well.
0: Yeah. So, I see, like, again, for people listening, you can see two different types of ship loadouts and 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 archetypes and different types of scenarios suit different ships. I mean, you can change and change and change and you're never gonna I don't think anyone has come across Uh, a set of ships that is 100% effective in every single scenario it's their strategy that comes down to it and like we said earlier pilot skill is one of the biggest things involved in this game and your repetitions with what you know Um, Now, here's the really good question, because this opens up everything. I mean, you guys got to go overseas. I know uh, I can't I, I don't recall if Dan did this, but I know Craig actually got to get out and did a little bit of sightseeing and some good social events as well prior to uh actually playing and i was a bit jealous of what he ended up doing so what was your favorite moment moments like let's talk tournament play socializing your overall trip like Let's, let's say, give me your top three things that you got to experience. And let's not just lean towards the playing, obviously, we're there to play, but was there anything else, Craig? What what did you get up to? Uh, I think, thing for me, it was, I mean, I was
1: fortunate that during COVID, I played a hell of a lot of online X-Wing. Um, working from home then, I was maybe done. And so I had all the time in the world, um, played a lot of the European and US tournaments. So I was playing two or three games a day a lot of the time. So for me getting to meet... A lot of these people that you met virtually meet them in the flesh and say you What know, well, that was—that was a highlight for me. Um, obviously, going to Chicago, you got to go to a Bulls game, uh, which was thoroughly enjoyable, and then just getting out and exploring a new city. I mean, we did a, a river cruise on the Wednesday up and down the Chicago River, froze our asses off, but yeah, it was—it was good.
0: So, how long were you there for? What what day did you land in Chicago?
1: Uh, landed Tuesday afternoon and flew out Monday afternoon. So really just a, the six
0: nights. Considering the, you know, tournament-wise, you played for two days and the convention itself went for three or four days total.
1: Four. So we were we we're effectively playing, playing for three days. So the, the warm-up event slash Yavin and, and fun stuff on the Thursday, day one Friday, day two Saturday, and then for those that made it, uh, the cut, the top eight on the Sunday.
0: Yeah, so you fit quite a bit in. You made the most of your trip, yeah. which is, I think, what everyone would love to do. Anything short of a family holiday, that's that's what you'd love to do. Yeah. So. Um, Dan, what about yourself? Like, you know, Craig's just said he's played this online stuff. He's got to see these faces for himself. Did you have a similar experience or was there anything in particular that really, like, you got attached to when you went on that trip?
3: Well, it was my my first Worlds trip. I'm not sure, Craig, if it was yours or not. But so for me, I was just eyes wide open and, you know, taking it all in as well as, you know, Chicago, and so yeah, joined up with Craig and a bunch of others from the Oceania community for the river cruise on the Wednesday. So I'd flown in on the Monday, and there were a few of us, or a small number of us, that flew in on the Monday for that extra day. So I stayed in a place with Averio, Nobby, and Josh from Brizzy, and then TMT from Singapore. So, and these are all guys that I knew and have played against and chatted with online and everything else, but haven't spent that same time together hanging out playing games playing silly unicorn games and other stupid games and getting out the x-wing mat on the top ta- one stage we had one we moved the couch and had an x-wing mat on the floor and then we had an x-wing mat on the table and we're talking strategy and also that was really cool as well um and yeah and just meeting a lot of the locals you know we went and had dinner one night with the GSB crew, and they're a lovely bunch of guys, and that was that was really nice to hang out with them. On the Tuesday night, we organized to go to a a local game store, which would just happen to be the very next suburb across. So met all the local crew there. Shout out to Dan and Steve if you're listening at all. And then a bunch of those guys, well, some of those guys were playing in the LCQ on the Thursday. So we were there cheering them on, whereas you'll appreciate. Um, very few people are going to go over from you know our sort of part of the world based on a, a shot in the LCQ. We did have Tom Johnson go over because I think he would have he would have had over anyway, right? With Nathan and and the yeah, missus. Yeah. So he really did Disney Disneyland and went to exactly, Star
0: Wars world and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling he was going to give it a crack. I saw all the photos leading up, and I went, "There's no way he's not giving it a go." Oh,
3: you got to get so in there. That's, that's great. right. That's right, but I don't think he was going as though his life depended on making through the LCQ, which, by the way, we haven't really touched on this, how stacked the field was, but it was a super strong field. At one stage, Ucta was sending messages on team chat sort of saying, oh, it's like being dipped in barbecue sauce and, and thrown into <laughs> Jurassic Park is what it, and it felt like that. The LCQ itself was a super strong field and there are a lot of strong players that didn't get through uh, the last-chance qualifier, so that was tough as well. But, yeah, so the, the people element, meeting a whole bunch of the crew and people that I had played online and recognised names and things but hadn't met in the flesh. And at one stage, you know, I'd be, I was playing on a table next to FunWalk. And I didn't know it was Funwalk, and I just heard the voice and the accent, and it was like this beautiful, sultry accent. And I'm like, Oh, are you the guy that does the thing?" Is yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was great to meet him and a bunch of the other guys as well. And yeah, I had the exact same experience with Funwalk. And and you look at Funwalk, and he's
1: not what you expect, <laughs> but that that voice is just so unique, and you instantly recognise who it is. So yeah, that was pretty cool. So
2: you're saying that Funwalk isn't a six foot. Adonis of a person? Because <laughs> he no, He's... He's, he's,
1: he's no. <laughs> broken one. No, oh,
2: he's, he's a
1: good-looking bloke, though. Don't he's, about really, that. he's actually, he's actually Asian-German.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Sorry, quick, quick bit here. For those people who are not aware of the online community, remember, Discord names don't always match the person in real life. Guys... You know, I, I don't know who would like to handle this. But could someone please explain who Funwalk is? I know I've actually played against him myself and I've I've played in a tournament where he's been part of the organising group. But would someone like to explain who he is to the people listening so they understand? Maybe, um, I don't know, Craig, you, you've played quite a bit online. Yeah, I
1: have no idea what his name is. Um, he's part of the, the German X-Wing scene out of... Uh, out of munich so heads up the bavarian squadron um and i've just ran into a number of solo and team events i think the first one i come across him we we're both captains of our respective team events and we just hit it off from day one he's a lot of, really cool bloke a lot of fun really laid back really chill, and yeah we just we just connected day one uh, from day one we met and then yeah having that moment at Worlds actually hear the voice look at this person no you can't be fun what then you asked it yes it is that was
0: yeah, it was quite cool. But <laughs> yeah. I
3: have no what his that...
0: name is. Well, I mean, look, uh, I still haven't found out what Nobby's real, actual legal name is either. And you know, I thought I was going to find it out at some point, but he still manages to keep it a secret. So, well, I mean, mate, it's his
3: I had Facebook to profile him, I had to put him on our Airbnb booking, so I know all of his all of his details passport numbers i've got everything so hit me up later
0: oh here we go <laughs>
3: black market trading here we go um
0: look guys the last of the organized questions and it's not going to be the last question because i've got a couple of things in mind as well as this has gone on would you go again what would you do different and what would you do different and why so you know big question here obviously you know i'm talking to guys who have families it's hard it's not easy We anyone who's got a family at home which is a lot of our audience knows how difficult it is to leave you know your significant other and any children at home alone and disappear i know it's a bit of a holiday for you at points but it's not easy once you get home you got to pick up the scraps you know do all the chores to to make up the wife points so to say but what would you do different what would you do why would you do it you know dan yourself would you go again what would you change and why
3: yeah i would definitely love to go again um Look, realistically, as you say, it is a sacrifice. So I go off gallivanting around the world, leave three kids and uh, my very understanding wife at home. I was fortunate this year because she'd actually organized for her 40th to go and do a little trip with a friend. And then that fell through. So she organized to go and do a trip with my sister. And then the friend said, "I actually can do it. So she's going and doing two trips this year. So uh, she's like, oh, yeah, you should go, you should go. Oh, look, I've got all these high man. But that won't be true. Every day. It is a big sacrifice. And using annual leave is another factor and then the money to get over there. So I would love to go again. Realistically, I would be, you know, tentative at best. Um, if, I, if I got flights and accommodation paid for, that's a different equation, right? I'll be there in a heartbeat, never mind everything else. And... Just don't draw anymore, mate, and you'll be there. <laughs> just stop drawing. Stop going three, two, and zero. Um, but I would love to and I would certainly say for any any semi competitive or even just, you know, vaguely, mostly casual but vaguely competitive player, like try to get over there and you have a ball, like have so many good games and experiences and meet people you know fantastic people and um yeah just get feel more connected with the overall community it is a great community and i don't know what it is about um the x-wing game that makes it such a great community whether it's yeah i, I can't put my finger on it but um yeah a great bunch of people that were over there anything i'll do differently not a whole lot and um, at one stage i had thought you know what i should do is just you can, At one level, you can have a plan for each of the key lists that you know are out there. And I think at one level, I did have that. I had my plan A and my plan B, but I didn't go to the next level, which at one stage, I thought that I should, you know, actually build, build out the lists. And then for each of four different scenarios, depending on how they deploy, is how I'm going to deploy. But that quickly goes into a lot of permutations, you know because it's a dozen lists times four scenarios, but then if they deploy differently, or if I'm first player or they're second player for deployment, then that might change. So I didn't go as deep as I could have. So a lot of that turn zero stuff, you know, before
0: before a dial is said, before the second dice roll happens, all that, you know, that's yeah, the, the game so plan,
3: so. the game plan. And I think yeah. the game, a big part of the game plan is then manifest through turn zero. Um and now turn zero is more complex, right? Because it's, you know, objectives and then rocks you know, obstacles and then deployment, engagement and the rest of it. So realistically though, would I actually ever go to that level of detail? I'm not sure. Um, but obviously just try I think what I did do what I would what I did do and I would do again is try to lend towards an archetype early on, not be afraid to change it and tweak it. Um but as I said, I was sort of evolving an archetype, and I think that worked well for me over a couple of months, um, and then coming up with a plan for you know different matchups, and then just trying to get as many reps and table time. I do find I I would say there there is a handful of games or reps that I had, which when I look back on it, they weren't helpful at all. It was just sort of go through the motion, bang, bang, bang. Let's play some moves online, and I don't really think that added at all. Added at all. Whereas, games where you chat things through, or just take the time to really consider it, and then have the discussion, or dwell on it afterwards, and have a chat afterwards. Um, yeah. After a normal game or whatever, I got a lot more out of some games than others, and that was not based on my opponent. That was more based on me and my approach and mindset going into um, a prep game. Yeah. And yeah, that's probably about it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, the Aussie community, and I'm pretty sure it's like this around the world as well. They're so understanding and they're so happy a lot of the time i see people say look who wants to have a run someone turns around and says i'd love to have a run but i'd really like to play against this particular faction or archetype and if you don't mind can we play this scenario and people are so understanding because they, they they get that someone's trying to prep for something big and that they really need that practice and that preparation about approaching you know they obviously those many different mindsets craig what about yourself would i i feel like you're the type of guy that would love to go again but i know that you would probably you know i know you would probably you know have some particular parameters set around it maybe um enforced either by yourself or others but uh would you go again and same thing what would you change and why i based on this i'd go over here if i could I mm. absolutely
1: enjoyed it. Uh, but I think next time uh, Kate and Ruby are coming with me, I think I think that's an option. I um, mean, we were, we were originally planning on going to Canada in in July. That all changed due to other circumstances. Um, so this was always going to be a real quick hit and run. I think next time it becomes more of a family holiday, stay for a couple of weeks, do the East Coast, do DC, do the whole lot. So I think, yeah, I think it will happen again in the future. Um, the one thing I'd do definitely is I think I'd, probably do some proper prep. I mean, my prep for this one was probably 10 or 12 reps. Um, I think next time it's really prioritise it and really try and give it a real shake. I think I went into this one with the attitude of have fun, make day two, and then whatever happens. I think going again, it's really get really serious and really try and give it a shake. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to play the likes of Duncan Howard, Ryan Stankowski, whatever his name is. Um and yeah the game, that's the one that's the one and and the game with duncan was close um there were, there were turns i out thought and i outplayed him uh there were turns he outplayed me so i think with the right amount of reps and that's what i, I can mix it with them so that's there yeah, that'd be what i'd be doing differently
3: was that the game craig that made you decide oh, i should have brought him off get in yes <laughs> yes, because that would have been that would have been close to a mirror match if I remember rightly. He had Vader defender Moth. What else did he have? Uh, I think it was Iden and
1: Hang on, I'll have a look. Where is he? He definitely had the Reaper. Uh, where are we? That no, was Juno. It was Vader in the defender Juno. Juno Ferro, yeah, and Ferroff, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, turn I mean, turn one I had, his, I had three guns on his Vader because I outthought him there and didn't get the damage through and then a couple of turns he got me. So I think it was close in the end, but yeah, I can feel like i definitely mix it with those guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, that, that just cements as well. Your feeling of it's worth going again. Like if you went there and you got absolutely curb stomped and just won nothing, no draws, nothing, depending on the way those losses played out, you might walk away with a negative, negative feeling about it all. I mean, you know, between you guys, surely there was a game where you emotionally felt like you are on tilt a little bit. How did you overcome that? How did you how did you push yourself through that moment? And did it come out on your side or did it come out on the other side? Did you claw back a bit more than you thought you might, you know, emotionally? How do, how do you deal with that when you're at that level? Craig?
1: Oh, it did happen to me. So round three, playing the dude that won the LCQ, um, he's taking a naked iron cannon shot at range through to a rocket Vader. Beta. Vader's got focus evade, <laughs> and lo and behold, Vader gets ionized. And you just you got to walk away from the table, shake your head. So that it's a dice game; shit happens. And that that, that absolutely cost me the game. That one shot that Vader rolling five blanks, getting ionized, and he just turns all his guns on him. That's that's the end of it.
2: This is this Genius. is this is classic for our for our continuing segment of Dice stories. Uh yep. this is the new entry with Defender Vader, Range 3 through a Rock. This is beautiful, Craig. Yep. This is this yep. is this is perfect. E roll three hits, I roll five blanks. Wow. <laughs> but yes. Sorry, Mike. My-
0: My first tournament I ever played, I did that to Nathan Skelly, another one of the world's attendees. My very first tournament ever, it was the uh, Onyx per Ardua at Astra. And it was my fourth round. I'd won two games at that point. It was the game before I ended up playing you, Craig, actually. And I shot an A-wing, range three, through a rock, into Defender Vader with his Evade and Focus, and I killed him in the last round to win the game. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, Vader's one of those squishy
1: guys. (laughs) I did not know that's a dice game. You can't get too bent out of shape out of it. The frustration for me is he carries on like he's a world beater because he's rolled like a god to, to win a
0: game. So... Just think of it this way. He held you in such high regard as a player throughout that game that he knew it was a big thing to actually get you at the end. Like, that's how I look at it. If someone gets overexcited about me, I have to just turn around and go, well, obviously they held me in a high regard. Otherwise, they wouldn't get so excited. Um, Dan, what about yourself? Did, you know, any, any, anything like that emotional-wise, how do you recover? What, what's, what's your approach to a situation like that?
3: Yeah, gen- generally I'm pretty even keeled. Um with that set. and I did have a few emotional opponents, I will say, but it was all it was all positive. Um but yeah, game one, I I played, I felt really well. My opponent landed on an obstacle, I ionised a ship onto another obstacle, I got the perfect engagement initiative, killed two ships, and then then <laughs> my Vader, boy Vader, decided to fully blank out three times in a row. Oh, he got an eyeball in the last one, which it was too little, too late to die, and I lost that game. So, but there was really nothing to take out of that game aside from you know dice sometimes. Um, but I was I was proud. I was happy with how I played it. But then the next game I lost Vader cheaply again, which is not the which is not the strategy, by the way, to lose Vader. Um, but I lost him cheaply again, and but that was probably the the best turn I had of the whole tournament which i had to take a photo of in the end where uh, and i was happy afterwards with my play here because i was staring down the barrel of another loss which would be you know none and two after two games and it's like right off you know day two or anything beyond that of course and uh but i saw i'm pleased looking back that i saw a win con so the last two rounds this was a scramble we touched on that right at the start of this um session I, the last two rounds I took three objectives on both rounds to win by one point point. and the very last turn it was one where we're in planning phase setting dials and then they call time so then immediately I'm like oh stuff I've got to change dials change that change that and the move was I had to he had four ships close to a, an objective and I needed none of them to trigger that uh, to scramble that transmission or it's 2-1 my way instead of 3 nil and I lose by a point instead of winning by a point and so I've got Magna there sitting behind a debris cloud I five straight Magna straight over the debris <laughs> he wasn't expecting it he bumped Magna bumped two of his ships and the other two couldn't get in there to get the action so I retained that objective I already had the other two I got the three he killed nothing else Magna survived and uh, a one by point. So that was that was my highlight move. And it just so happened that it turned around what would have been a zero and two into and a one-on-one. One. Um but it's a good reminder for myself as well that you know, know your win cons and uh, remember that there are yeah, remember what your path to victory is for the last turn or two.
0: Yeah, and I mean that that was something that you know our, our local organizer who was also head judge at Worlds had said to us many times, you know, if you get to a point in the game where you know that it's likely you'll lose, just stop, go back to the start, start again. And, or start from points where it's borderline whether you're going to win or lose the game and go from there and see how you can claw it back so you know that's a word
3: yeah sorry to cut you off Curtis. that's that's what um, getting on tilt and getting emotional can do is it, is it can shut down your ability to see the options and because you can't change where your ships are you got to deal with where your ships are and if your ship is stressed and you can't 4k then you got to just deal with that but if you can if you can get through the emotion, it means you can keep a wider perspective and you can see things that you otherwise might miss. Mm. Um, something as simple as a five straight to get some bumps around an objective so they can't turn it over.
0: Yeah, and it's it's something that's not easy to teach either.
3: Now, I did have...
0: We, we threw it out there to the listeners and asked them some questions if you guys could answer them there was one question that really really stood out and then i got one of my own as well now old players so dan you mentioned earlier on that you played against a guy and he said oh this is you know only my you know x number of times i've played 2.5 and i feel like that is i feel like it's a really common really common comment made by people who just want to you know, maybe put their opponent on tilt or something because they look at them and go, how do you play so well if you've only played X number of games? But, and and you guys will be able to answer this and I'm really curious to know your answers because I've only known 2.0 onwards and I came in not far off from when it swapped over to 2.5. So this is going to be a good thing for me to hear. What are some old skills or knowledge... That have transitioned or could be transitioned into the modern game, what we know it as now, that maybe have not had as much uh, as much focus on. Is there are there any skills, any any building sort of uh, strategies or or approach strategies? That have translated into the later versions of the game that people have maybe let go of. That you think still are important in the game now. Craig, I think you've been playing since the start, haven't you? I'm not quite the start, but yeah, I think the, the,
1: the fundamentals of the game are still the same. You're still maneuvering chips around a board. You're still trying to manipulate your dice to control the variance, and you're still trying to outthink your opponent. I think a lot of people these days is focusing more on building the optimal lists rather than flying what they've got. And it comes back to you look at Bartosz with a Falcon and four, X, uh, four A-wings. Gets to the top four. It's because he knows those ships inside. He knows how to fly them. He knows how to use them to interfere with what his opponent's doing. So it's, just really, it's really that learning to fly ships, learning not to hit rocks, getting your basic manoeuvres right and trying to anticipate where your opponent's going and then making the right... Mathematical call for your actions. So a lot of a lot of guys these ages, just they usually, they do their move, focus every time instead of thinking well, what's the right action here.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I listen to some of the podcasts as well, and I know, you know, Dion is huge on the idea of statistics. You know, when when you take this action, it gives you the statistical outcome of this on a dice roll. Yep. And he's massive on those, those stats. Do you think that the game is missing the focus on those stats at the moment, maybe? I think the
1: newer players haven't really experienced that as much as the older players have.
0: I know um, I'm one of those.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the, the, I think the newer players aren't, use, aren't as used to trying to force a bump. Aren't as used to try to interrupt what their opponent is doing. They're, they fixate on what they're doing rather than trying to interrupt what their opponent's doing and just trying to outfly them, trying to understand what your opponent's optimal move is and what can I do to either be in a position to take advantage of that or how can I be in a position to muck it up for them. I think the whole range zero, red focus, shooter range zero has changed that a bit. But like Dan pointed out, if you can get in there and block them doing an action and block them from getting that objective, that's huge.
3: Yeah, I agree with Craig. I think blocking is much less important than it used to be because of focus, but block to avoid uh, an objective action is key. And also uh, another moment I was quite proud of is I parked a... Uh, Iden, I think it was, in front of Poe Falcon, such that item um, was range one of an obstacle, sorry, an, an objective, an assault, and Poe, with his, you know, big booty, was not in range one. So that kind of um, skill, I think, is, is still important, just in a different context, you know, Bump used to be the end of a ship's um, life, and now not so much with Red Focus. Um, but I think the, you know the core skills from older players uh, around approach vectors um, is key, and just accuracy and range. You know things like you know it, can I pull off this coordinate at range two because if I don't, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. Or can I get this lock at range three? Those sort of eyeballing kind of things. If it's a little bit, if it's you know a little bit in or a little bit out, it makes a world of difference. They're key, and you know that I feel like. Oh, this will be a strange thing to say. it's it, it, maybe it feels harder to do that in real life. On screen, you can sort of look at it and you've got your screen there and you can sort of do a little dodgy um, not on, not on the digital table itself, but it's just I find it easier whereas real life, you know it's and then the transition from screen to real life you know is a little bit tricky as well. But I would say also things like focus fire. I know objectives are critical, and you've got to be able to manage objectives and no half points and where you're going to get points. But focus fire for me is still critical. Um, so, that core skill of flying ships and then maybe coming in from different angles, but being able to get multiple shots on one target, I think is still king. And um, yeah, a lot of those core skills pull through definitely.
1: Yeah, and it comes down to playing the man as well, knowing what they're going to do and then how you counteract that. I mean, the highlight for me was round five on day one playing whatever the three objective one is he's got all three it's it's 18 17 to him he's got all three objectives i can do nothing about it going to the last turn he moves his two health reaper in position to block every move on vader's dial bar one and like i keep saying the best move on vader's dial is that one bank <laughs> one bank the one bank so, yeah just being able to, to recognize what he's, he's going to get recognize he's going to go in and block everything on Vader he possibly can to stop the kill shot. Having the, I suppose, having the balls to put that one bank in, do the one bank in behind him, take the evade, so activate Duke and just blow that reaper off the board to win, what, 22-21. Yeah, it's very, very satisfying. And just, yeah, playing the man.
0: And that's another thing too, I think. Like, knowing, and there's something that the veteran players have a far better handle on because they've been around since the start. So they've, they've gotten... All this information in dribs and drabs, not like one massive flood, like a new player who maybe started within the last two years, is knowing a ship's dial or their ability or the shazzy's actions. That's a massive thing as well. Knowing your opponent's list and knowing it easily is a massive thing as well. And I mean, I, I would personally, after playing against people like Craig and and others at our local store would highly recommend you know sit down and just you know take a little bit of time learn a chassis of a ship and try and see if you can learn a whole faction then move to another faction and see if you can just learn the chassis not even the abilities just the chassis you'll learn the upgrades as you staple them to your own ships um Look, fellas, that's pretty much it from me. Pabs, have you got much else you'd like to add in? Anything you'd like to say, ask, you know, drops of wisdom you'd like from these blokes that have had these
2: massive experiences that we can only dream about? Well, I think just thanking them and also asking them if they've got any shout-outs uh, they want to go with uh, at the end of the interview here. Dan?
3: Uh, I think I shout out some of the locals we met. Earlier on, um, yeah, all my opponents, you know, the the Daniels and uh, Sergio and yeah, a bunch of guys at Timo. i sounded said it before, maybe like I was throwing Timo onto the bus. He's a lovely guy. Oh, <laughs> I enjoyed my game, um, yeah, and very good over the over the table, and um, yeah, all the Oceania community, also, you know, the a, a bunch of people that supported the community going over, you know, like. Um you know, Jeff with you know prize support and organizing nice cards with our names on it to be able to hand over to opponents and to help with some of the acrylics with Australia on them and stuff that we could give out to players and I think a lot of the players appreciated all that. and your good sales for you know putting this sort of content up that keeps people engaged and interested in the game. It's a good effort. so thank you both for having us on. No, no worries, Craig, any shout outs. Yeah, I think yeah, it's all all the opponents it's um
1: the, all the blockchain over there with I think. I think the community owes Chris Allen a huge shout out. I know he comes across as this annoying internet troll. We get to know Chris. He's a, he's a lovely bloke. And the work, the work he's done keeping this community alive worldwide during COVID and everything else going on, the work he's put into this world is incredible. Mm -hmm. The fact that he can manage to get a whole international judging crew there. I mean, it's one of the smoothest tournaments I've ever played in. Nice. And it's, there's a whole team there, but Chris is leading that team and they did a, they did a fantastic job. So I think, the community needs to give him a huge shout out.
2: hundred percent. Shout out for Chris Allen. He's uh he's a trooper. Yep. Excellent. Uh and then
1: just yeah, and then it's just AMG with I mean they turned the price for in a big way. Um, so hopefully that continues in the future. Yeah. I mean there was just stuff being handed left, right and centre and there's a whole bunch of stuff coming back for all the local communities as well.
2: Excellent. Excellent.
3: And we have to shout out uh Isapan as well who helped uh, a lot of individuals, but also broadly the whole Oceania uh, community mm. to get over there, as well as a bunch of other people and, you know, players that wouldn't otherwise be there. So having that
2: sort of person in the community is pretty fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Uh, well, I think that's it for us, Curtis. Curtis.
0: Yeah, thanks very, very much for the interview guys. It's
2: been an
0: absolute pleasure to have you guys on. And hopefully we can see you at an event later this year and share a beverage and have a great laugh about all the things that we couldn't quite fit in in this podcast. So thank you very much for turning up guys and looking forward to catching up with you in person real, real soon. Thanks, Dan and Craig. Say bye to
3: everyone for us, fellas. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks
2: for having us on. Thank you all for listening to the Rounds or Up podcast by C4 Squad. Make sure to give us a review on your platform of choice and hope all of your roles are natty crits. Thank you and goodbye.